Hi guys and welcome to episode 42 of the Road CC podcast. Now this was a particularly special one because we were lucky enough to speak to Ken Floyd who some of you may know is the founder of Brixton BMX Club and a genuine inspiration for people in South East London and basically across the UK. So he's been dedicating his time to the club for over 40 years and he was actually in the New Year's Honours list receiving the British Empire Medal for Services to BMX and the community in Brixton. So I think that after 40 years, that was thoroughly deserved, especially with all of the impact that that's had on the local community. So Jack and I spoke to him earlier this week, and we kind of discussed everything around the kind of impact that it's had, the famous people, the famous riders that have come through there, and what the future holds for the Brixton BMX Club, and essentially the kind of wider southeastern southeast London cycling community. So it was really insightful talking to him. He's got some really interesting perspectives on things and he's, you know, having worked in it for so long, he knows pretty much everything there is to know about the club, really knowledgeable about the area. Um, and we kind of delve into some things like why he founded it, which essentially came down to a quirk of the road that he was walking down at the time. And it's really amazing to hear everything that he's done around everything he's got planned and the enthusiasm that he still has for it after 40 years. Uh, then Simon spoke to Gersh Kunzman, um, who runs Street Blog, Streets Blog New York for a very interesting chat, which revolved around the series of videos that he's been posting on Twitter, where he's basically been undefacing number plates because of how little is done in New York around that and how this causes issues. So they also talk about London and New York, Simon being in London, Gersh being in New York, but also across kind of other UK cities as well, where there's a huge amount in common between what Gersh is doing and what other people are doing as well. It's really interesting to hear because we don't really tend to hear that much about you know what's happening in America versus what's happening in the UK. Essentially, it's, it's all kind of broadly focusing around the same areas. It's really interesting to hear Gershie's insights on that. So it was a really great podcast, a really great way to start the year. I hope you guys enjoy it. So here it is, episode 42 of The Road CC. Congratulations. Thank you very much. How'd you find out about it? I got email from the honor system. Oh, very nice. Whereabouts were you? Wait to, to hear from them when to when I actually go to Buckingham Palace or wherever to get my award. I'm still waiting to hear from them. Interesting. So did you know that you were kind of um, I was going to say the Palace have got other things they're thinking about at the moment, maybe. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Maybe that's <laughs> Prince, Harry. Delay. Prince Harry, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I, I don't know whether he'll be presenting the medal to you. He'll be the Lord Lieutenant of London. Prince uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, London. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what Prince Harry thinks about BMX. Um, right. <laughs> Probably thinks better of it than his dad and his brother. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking about the Royal yeah. Family before we <laughs> Before we get sued, yeah. yeah, I was going to say before we get cancelled. Um, <laughs> like, so Ken, did you know that you you'd been kind of nominated for it, or did it kind of come? No, out I didn't. I, I didn't know I'd be nominated for it because one of my friends, Ebenezer, said I should collect signatures, but I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So, so it was purely. Yeah, I. I we heard from because um, originally we published an article. Um, announcing people in cycling who'd been given New Year's honours. So there was uh, Lizzie Dayan, who got a an MBE, and yourself, who got the British Empire Medal. Um, it's Mike. Um, Mike, who is your... I believe he's the press officer or press relations. Club, yes, or, he is, yeah. He yeah, is and it was him who got in touch. Yeah, yeah, it was him who got in touch, and he was like, yeah, I think Ken needs a bit more of a shout here because, you know, 40-odd years of service for Brixton BMX Club, and... Um, 
no one's really no one's really talking about obviously Lizzie Danon was gonna be Yeah, 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 that's right. She deserves the award really. Yeah, yeah. Well well but it's but it's an equal fit. It's um it's you know We're exactly equally though to their credit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So um but I, I yeah, I think uh, Mike was absolutely correct that we needed to um that somebody somebody needed to give you a bit more recognition for just the number of years of service and i'm not i don't you don't mind but i found your linkedin page and uh you know you founded brixton bmx club in 1981 That's um right. which was yeah that was a few years before a few years before i was born and a lot's changed since so that's right yeah yeah i mean what what was it um the, the principle of when you like the brixton riots were they had they happened right. or they um, were about to happen when you said yeah, it i started the club um I started a cycling club actually, but the youngsters wanted to do didn't want to do ordinary cycling. So, so when I, a youngster from the cycling club took me to Earl's Court Motorbike Show in the bank holiday in August 1981, I saw indoor BMX racing in Earl's Court, yeah. and I spoke to Sue Wilds and Sue Jarvis and Jeff Wilds of UK BMX, the governing body at the time, who organised the event. And I discovered that if you can do BMX indoors, you can do it anywhere. So, so on the way back, I saw Brixton Skate Park in Stockwell Road. I saw the youths riding their BMX bikes there. <laughs> so I asked them if they wanted to go BMX racing, and they said yes. So I started the club there and then. Amazing. Yeah, because you you actually managed to get the funding for the kind of version one of the BMX track in Brockwell Park. Is that right? Yeah, before that, I actually got funds to build a BMX track behind Brixton Police Station in the early 80s. But that's now housing. Because all that vacant land in Brixton after 1981 rights was housing land, except Dexter Adventure Playground. And because it was on the Brixton front line, I didn't want to build a BMX track there. Yeah. The youngsters wouldn't go to it. So, yeah, the um, Brockwell Park, probably a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, like, Brockwell Park is the right place for it. Yeah. I wish I'd gone there in the first place instead of searching for vacant land in Brixton. In police, around police stations. That, that's my one yeah. regret. I should have gone for the park in the first place. And it was eventually 1990 when that got yeah. built, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Nine years of, of you know, uh, searching and then you found the, the home and it's still there. Um, yeah, that's for, right. Because three years later. I, yeah. I made a deal with Lambeth that we would maintain the track. Yeah. To look after the track if they built it. And I kept my word to Lambeth that we did do maintain the track. And without cost to Lambeth. And they're yeah. very happy with that arrangement. That's why they let the club have exclusive use at certain times. So we provide a service to the community. Cool. I think yeah. that's really, um, it's it's really interesting how you said that you saw a bunch of lads riding BMXs or bikes that wouldn't, you know, that they obviously didn't identify with um, probably, I'll be honest, a lot of our audience who ride like drop bar bikes and they, they, right. the people, the people you were talking about, didn't identify with cycling. The the diff, the other side of, of cycling, which is like road riding and and that kind of thing. So well, the, even though that was so long ago now, um, and you described it as, you, you know, you picked these kids up and said, "Do you want to try racing? Do you want to do it in a more formal way?" And it's like you know, an outlet for them, some That's something right. for them, you know, like community thing, something for the you know, uh, for them to do. Mm. Um, you know, to keep just to, to where they might be disenfranchised, maybe in That's other right. parts of their lives. Um, so is is it even all these years later? Is it kind of the same principle? The people at the club is it like you see? You know, you might see kids riding around and maybe not having much. You know, and then oh, do you want to come and try BMX racing and channel some of that? Well, energy? well, nowadays people go to the track in in Brockwell Park because. It's still accessible to the community, but the trouble is we're not attracting so many of the disenfranchised youths from the estates in Brixton so much these days because it's postcode wars with some of them. Some of them Mm -hmm. don't want to go to Brockwell Park. 
because they, they see us controlled by Taosil boys from Taosil uh, Estate across yeah. the road. So, so, so that's there's a little bit of postcode wars going on, but we are attracting some disadvantaged youths whose parents can't afford it, and we're and we're taking them kids as part of the club, and they're from around the park, not only from Towson Estate, but around the park we get disadvantaged children as well. How nice! I mean, you've got so. I mean, Kai White came through Brixton, That's right. silver medal at um, the 2012 Olympics. Have you got, I mean, have you seen anybody else kind of coming up through the ranks now that you think that we should be looking out for? Um, we did have Luca McKenzie, um, but he's now gravitating into basketball for some reason. And um, <laughs> the next youngster that's going up through the ranks is Jacob Anderson. He's about nine years old now. And he's one to watch for the future. Jacob Anderson. Okay. I'm making yeah. mental notes. And that there's one. so many that have come through, uh, haven't there, since yeah. you and like we you know, the uh the big one is um, you know, that that Mike mentioned you were instrumental in uh directing his career was Charlie Reynolds. That's um, right, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the first black superstar in Britain in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. BMX, Charlie Reynolds, yeah. I'm I'm grateful to have discovered him, and I'm yeah. glad the local bike shop Edwards in Camberwell sponsored him all the way to the top, and gave him their support and embraced him. So I'm for great, very, very grateful to Edwards Bike Shop in Camberwell, mm -hmm. and they're still supporting the club in in kind by um, allowing our members to get discount in their shop. So they are giving us in-kind support, Edwards, which to this day, really. Uh, nice. Happy to say. Yeah, I know. I know Edwards. I used to live it. I lived in, well, for, I lived in Brixton and Camberwell for about like seven, seven years or so. And yeah, Edwards was my local bike shop. And I yeah, used to, used to see still the- provide um, a good service today. Yeah, I'm sorry exactly. to be promoting commercial business, but they deserve recognition for their part to play in helping Brixton youngsters get into the sport. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and they're nice. They're they're nice guys as well. I remember. I was yeah, they are. Buy, yeah, they are. I was trying to yeah. buy a Cad Ten. And I like and I love the support they gave to Charlie to get him to the top as a pro. And that should, and I'm happy to acknowledge their support. Nice Edwards Bike Shop. Nice yeah. work. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you kind of said originally that you, you know, that you were that you were kind of going past the Stockwell Skate Park and noticed um, yeah. people on BMXs, but originally you were thinking about creating a, like a, a, just a regular cycling club. Like, do you? Still, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that, that's why I did start off with but the youngsters weren't interested in ordinary cycling at all so were you interested in that BMX kind of as well? yeah so i jumped on a bmx bandwagon <laughs> so do you still do kind of right like kind of the like kind of road cycling or any other kind of cycling or is it pure no BMX? no i don't no no but did you do I'm that but you did at the time I ride my BMX bike to the park because um, for my 60th birthday, the club rallied round to get me a BMX cruiser, the latest oh, model nice. with disc brake and all that for my 60th birthday, which I didn't expect. <laughs> That's very nice. I think it's yeah, probably the least you deserve after all the years of yeah. uh, and, and I'm glad that everyone at the club is happy with the BMX track as it is now. Because Clark and Kent, the BMX track builders, um, upgraded our track in 2017 with the race starting a new starting gate at mm. the time. And it's been the game changer for us. That's great. Um, so I, I was going to just ask you about, so you, you were saying you, you ride to the park and everything. How do you, how do you think that, 
BMX is obviously a very specific thing. Like you need, you turn up and you, you race on on a on a track. But how do you think that BMX fits in with wider, you know, like active travel in general? Like, is it the the, the you know the kids who come through your club and the people who join? Do you think that sets them up with like healthy habits for life? Would that also then in, encourage yes, them to they can, they can try other cycling disciplines? And yeah. one or two of our riders are doing cyclocross and other cycling disciplines because they get yeah. the road handling skills from BMX and that helps them in other cycle sport too. Even Chris Hoy right. started off as a BMX rider in his younger yeah. days. Yeah, and he yeah, went on to success in the Olympics. So it can happen. It, BMX does set you up for life. Yeah. And, and, and also in terms yeah. of like, you know, because like when we're talking about congestion and, and better ways of getting around than, than driving everywhere. I mean, does is that another thing you're seeing? Do you how what percentage of your the people who participate, are they do they ride to and from uh, the, the the BMX track as well? Um yes. Um one of our coaches, Jason Lewis, he's always he works at Burgess Park BMX track now, but he's always on his BMX bike traveling everywhere. He always, yeah. he, he's always on, he always travels everywhere on his BMX, whether it's a cruiser or 20 inch, you always see him on a bike. Yeah. And he's, I, and he's an example. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I, I don't know whether you heard of, um, there was the, the thing a few, they, they do it every year, the bike storms event in London. Have you heard of that? Where, um, basically a load of kids get together, play really loud music and just en masse, just ride around the streets of London. It's basically just saying, you know, making the point that, you know. I think Daniel Mintz of um, I Bike Ride London, which is a mountain bike website for for, BM, for cycling in London. I think he organises that. Yeah, perhaps. It should. I, I don't know whether they did it this year, the, the year just gone, actually, but we, we've done a few stories on it in the past. But uh, to me, it just seemed but like a really... Did a, you did a Christmas Santa ride. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh. It it just seemed like a great way because um we often you know when you're trying to sell it to to kids like you know um yeah maybe it's better to get around by bike than to you know spend lots of money on a on a, on a car you know with a very loud you know, exhaust. You know, you know when BMX riders learn how to bunny up, it's a good skill to have because you can dodge traffic by bunny hopping <laughs> onto the pavement yeah. to escape the traffic. Yeah. It's a good skill to have. I can't do bunny up, unfortunately, <laughs> but but it's a good skill to have to escape the traffic. Yeah. It is dangerous. Yeah. It is true. I used to do a lot of cycling in Brixton, and I wish that I could be able to bunny up off the road sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got quite the right bike for it, unfortunately, or the skills for that matter. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, how many people do you think have come through the the BMX club kind of, you know, in the last 40, well, 41 years now. Well, um, Kai White started off as a three-year-old in Brockwell Park oh. and he went on to get the silver medal. Um, he came with his dad and two older brothers, Trey and Daniel, to, um, and his dad, Nigel, um, to Brockwell Park. Um, when CK Flash, who's the founder of Pekka BMX club, um, he was our first head coach when we started back in 2002 and, and he revived the Peckham, old Peckham track in Burnley Bush Park and that's how Peckham BMX Club started in 2003 and the White Brothers went off with CK to Peckham BMX Club so they were our rivals <laughs> I'm glad um, CK started Peckham BMX Club because yeah. they now have a gateway all the way to British Cycling talent team. And another rider to watch out for is Quillen Isidore. He's currently in the British Cycling Olympic squad, same with Kai White. And he started off at Brixton as well, Quillen Isidore. Wow. It's, pre it's a pretty massive impact that you've had, to be honest. That's I mean, right. If you had if you hadn't put in that work, you know, no, I don't think on BMX track would have been built. <laughs> no, it's kind of like the ecosystem that's built. So from that kind of initial, 
you know, if you'd have been walking back and you hadn't seen people BMXing in Stockwell, you know, in Stockwell Skate Park, you know, the, essentially the landscape of South, yeah, Southeast London's, well, Southeast London's kind of BMX and cycling. Yeah. And you know what? Stockwell Skate Park has been done up so nice now. Maybe we really brought back the Brixton Bowl because mm. our, our members had the say in the redesign of it even though it's dominated by skateboarding, as in Friends of Stockwell Skate Park. But we had a say in the current design of um, the skate park. And it's done up so nice now mm. that even the developers surrounding the skate park made a contribution to Lambeth to, to get it redone. So, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's 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 nice. I know one of the one of the guys who was um, kind of you know one of the big forces behind pushing that. He was um, quite yeah an ex professional skateboarder. He was involved in that. Looks really good. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I haven't been there for a while. Mainly because I'm you, you should go. It's very nice there now. Ah, check it out then. Yeah. Um. So I mean, yeah. I mean, how does it fit? Like, how does it, how do you feel now, being kind of given this, like being given this award? That does it? Does I can't it kind believe of... I'm getting it from the royal family, though, because because I do have mental health issue, as well. So um, I can't believe I'm getting such a high award. Well, I did. I think most people, it makes perfect sense to a lot of, of people. It's uh, and I think it just it shows that yeah, there's a, there's a, there's maybe like an idea in people's heads of what someone who receives a British Empire Medal or an OBE MBE might look like. But um, yeah, like like they have to be clean like... cut, squeaky clean, and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, but it's what you do, not what you say, and how smooth you can talk, isn't it? You know, that's that, right. That's I'm what not, I wanted to ask because like you've all these years of service like 40 something years and like you I, as far as i know you've been a it's a vol you're a volunteer pretty much that's uh, right yeah all, all the and you know i've because i've been in i've been in various sports clubs in my life like i was in a running club and i did a, a little bit of bmxing rather as a youth as well and occasionally you just meet these pillars of the community who you being one obviously in your community um there is a lot of people who go through their lives and they might not do as much as give a quid to charity. You go through a whole life and not, you know, maybe not give back to their communities. And what what is it for you that makes you get up every well, you day? You know why I go into BMX and cycling in, in general? I wanted yeah. to give children into cycling, which I never had the opportunity to do as a child. So when they talk about deprived children in the 80s, I was a deprived child in Tottenham in the 70s. So I know what it's like to be deprived personally. And the, and the bricks and kids in those days, if they couldn't afford a BMX, they stole it. <laughs> yeah. And and take it back to the skate park and show their friends. They used to travel for, for miles to, to, to steal a BMX and travel back to the skate park. And, that, and that's the thing for you, that's the thing that, Every day, like you know, you might have you might have the odd bad day where you turn up to the skate park and some kids have been running riot on it. Oh, the BMX track. I'm sorry, and uh, you know, maybe maybe one of the the mem one of the 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 members is playing up, and you're like, why do I do this? Um, maybe you don't, but like, is that what is that what makes you tick? Um, I was think how many because you um, I can understand where they're coming from. I never had the opportunity to ride back as a child except in Lordship Wreck, when I had to pay two pence to ride their bike. I didn't have a bicycle of my own as a child, and I felt mm. deprived. So when, when, when these kids and bricks are deprived and disadvantaged and wanted to get into sport, I fully embraced that. That's what I wanted to do. That was my motivation. Because cycle sport is good. I saw the Tour de France in the 70s and I yeah. thought cycle sport was good, great. But then I discovered BMX 
and BMX is even better. Yeah. And that's like for you, the most rewarding thing is seeing, that's right. you know, yeah, giving kids the opportunity. Into, the, into have, cycling. Yeah. yeah. In general, I, yes. I, I, I suppose that's, that's even upper level, even more when you see like the Kai Whites and the, the that's right. You know, the, those are the, and, and go, getting real success. But I suppose that central initial thing is just for. Cause I celebrated with the Peckham BMX club when that, when they vid, then they had it on the screen at Peckham at Giraffe House. I celebrated yeah. with the um, riders then, with Peckham BMX Club. I was happy for them, really. <laughs> Maybe a, just a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no animals. So, so Ken, what's, uh, what's next? What's coming up for the club? And what have you got planned? Um, we're planning our Capital Works programme, where we're going to finally repair the back of the Star Hill and finish line here with tarmac. And we're going to bring a second container to the start hill, which will have electricity and water points connected to the start hill container uh, at the BMX track. So we'll have electricity and water. Um, and um, yeah. That's so, so, so that's what we're going to do with our Capital Works program. We're hoping it will get done by the end of the financial year in March, end of March. Nice. I might be a bit optimistic, but we, or it <laughs> might get done in the summer. But, yeah. we, but definitely by the summer, we should have it done. Because we, nice. we raised about £125,000 through crowdfunding and other funding. And, um, but the cheapest quote from the contractor was £250,000. So we're negotiating with the contractor to do what we can with the money we have raised so far. Excellent. But they're a bit busy at the moment. So um, we're regrouping to to um, try and pin them down. Because we appointed a project manager, Elsie, who's a landscape architect, to drive the project forward on behalf of the club. Cool. Well, nice. it seems like your persistence is very, yeah, all through all these years. And that's what seems to be of, uh, you know, a big success behind why you've got the facilities you've got. And like, that's yeah, right. Yeah. That, um, well, I don't For think. Lambeth are very happy that we maintain the track on their yeah. behalf and make yeah. it into a sports facility. Because we also wanted fencing, proper fencing around the track to protect it from dogs remote control cars, scooters, um, but we can't afford it at the moment. Because we wanted the public to see the BMX track as a sports facility rather than a play facility it is at the moment. Mm. Just like the bowling green is fenced off, just like the tennis courts is fenced off. We wanted the BMX track to be seen as a sports facility. Yeah rather than a play facility it is now. Yeah. So, yeah, just thinking about the way it is laid out in Brockwell Park, it does, because you've essentially got, you've kind of got a bit of, a few trees around it, but apart from that, it's pretty open. Yeah. But we don't mind it, it's a public track. Even if we get the fencing eventually, it'll still be a public track. That's what we want. That's what the council want. That's what the community wants. So everybody will be happy that's a public track. And it's the only regional standard public track of its kind in the whole of inner London, in the, in the London Postal District area, which is a public track. The nearest yeah, public really. track to us is Hayes in Middlesex. Cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm, oh, well, I, I don't know about you, George, but I think it's been a real privilege to talk to someone who's, ba yeah, probably not just shaped... BMXing, but like cycling for the last, you know, 30, 40 years, well, 40 years in the UK. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't personally think there's anyone more deserving of a British Empire medal than you, Ken. Yeah. No, I entirely agree. Yeah. Congratulations, Ken. Entirely deserved. Thank you for your interview, Jack and George. No, no problem at all. Anytime. Lovely to chat.
So we're delighted to welcome on the Road CC podcast today Gersh Kunzman from Streets Blog New York City, which is part of the Streets Blog's network, which for many years now has been campaigning for and reporting on cycling and walking in a number of cities across the US. Now, Gersh was featured in the New York Times shortly before Christmas after he took the task upon himself to remove leaves and other objects that some motorists used to obscure their license plates and thereby try and evade fines for breaking the law that they might otherwise receive. So, so Gersh, welcome to the podcast. And first, can you tell us what it was that made you decide specifically to start doing that? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, the reason I got so involved in doing these little videos and busting people for having defaced plates is because we've been covering this issue for quite some time uh, on Streets Blog because it's it's really a big problem. And those articles never really landed with the public, um, the broader public beyond our readership. Um, but then what happened is a lawyer friend of ours was arrested by the police after he undefaced a driver's plate. Here was a driver who had covered his plate with a piece of tape. And my friend was biking to the office and he saw the tape and he removed it. Now, unfortunately for him, the driver was actually sitting in the car and I don't know if this is true over where you are, but where we are, drivers get exceptionally pissed off if you touch their car. Like, touch oh, they do. yes. Or, or even take a picture of their car. It's insane. Yeah. And um, so this guy called the cops and the NYPD rolls up and they arrested our friend for criminal mischief. They charged him with criminal mischief, which is really a graffiti charge that confers that you cause some sort of damage to someone's property. When in fact, this guy hadn't caused damage, he actually undamaged the plate by cleaning it up and making it readable. Nonetheless, yeah. he was charged with criminal mischief. And so first thing I did is I wrote a funny, um, I'm, I'm not a musician, but I try to be, and I wrote a funny uh, kind of folk song about this guy's arrest. And then I said, wait a minute, there's more we can do this. We could actually satirize this arrest by me committing criminal mischief, quote unquote, criminal mischief all over town, including undefacing many police officers' cars, plates. And then it's taken off. I mean, I've done about 50 of these videos already. Wow. So quite a little library you're building up there. You know, from that. And, and you say police officers are actually doing the same thing on their vehicles, which just sounds absolutely bizarre. Yeah, we have a running feature on Streets Blog uh, where every year we visit uh, about 16 police precincts and just kind of see what kind of cars are parked in the official NYPD parking zone. And what yep. we find is, and then we run the plates on those cars, we find that the police are just terrible drivers in their personal vehicles. The, the majority of NYPD officers live in New York suburbs and do drive into the office every day. And because they're police officers, they feel, um, they well, they feel a certain um, uh, privilege that they're not going to get charged if they're pulled over by a brother officer. The difference yeah. here, however, is New York now has about 2,000 speed cameras, and those cameras catch people, whether they're police officers or just regular members of the public. So we're yeah. finding that the cops drive really recklessly. So then, as part of this, we also notice that they also obscure their plates at a very high rate compared to the general public. So for yep. this criminal mischief series, I've spent a lot of time near police precincts because that's, you know, it's like Willie Sutton used to say, why do you rob banks? Well, that's because the money is. That's where the money is. And that's what that's what I've been doing with the criminal mischief. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it does seem strange that, you know, someone who's actually, you know, removing that you know, piece of tape or whatever that's obscuring the number plate is actually the person who who gets arrested for some kind of criminal behaviour, when it's actually the motorist who's put that there in the first place, presumably, um, who's actually considered themselves above the law and trying to avoid a, a criminal sanction for something. Yeah, I mean, in this particular case, we obviously don't know what happened when the police rolled up. Perhaps my lawyer friend, you know, mouthed off to the police, which they hate. Uh, perhaps uh, the cops, you know, didn't understand the situation. More likely, it's the fact that the driver... We know who this driver is because we've, we've tracked him. He's sort of what we call cop adjacent. He belongs to yep. a neighborhood security patrol uh, in, in a part of the city away from where this happens. So he probably has uh, friends in the NYPD who probably didn't really wish to see the situation uh, any other way than the normal windshield perspective that NYPD officers have. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And... Um... 
what sort of reaction have you had to, to the posts you've done on this issue on social media? You know, has it been well received by, by your followers or, you know, have you had any kickback from other people? Well, my followers love it because they're into the whole uh, street safety thing. But I am getting trolled by some people who who, well, look, there are obviously much bigger problems in New York. And I'm certainly not sitting here saying that, you know, the problem of obscured plates is a catastrophic one, but it does cost the city and the state, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in lost uh, toll and speed camera revenue. So it's not an insignificant problem, but the trolls will often lose sight of the fact that the only reason I'm doing this is because somebody has defaced or obscured a plate. I'm not doing this to normal law-abiding citizens who have normal clean plates. So people yeah. lose sight of that. They just think I'm a jerk. And I certainly am a jerk. I'm not saying I'm not a jerk. I'm a jerk. But I'm a jerk only after someone else has committed an even more jerky behavior by trying to evade laws that restrict people from driving too rapidly and recklessly through school zones, which sure. I consider pretty basic. Something we see a lot here in relation to speed cameras is that people who are opposed to them very often claim that they're solely money-raising opportunities for local authorities. They seem to lose sight of the fact that they're there to catch people who are breaking the law and putting others in danger. It does seem weird that when you're talking about the motor car, that's not seen as breaking the law by many people. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems we have with that is... Um, Parts of New York City and indeed almost all of the United States are very car dependent. In other words, we've designed our public spaces to encourage rather than discourage the use of the automobile. So once you live, for example, in an American suburb or you live in a, in a far-flung area of New York City where the use of a car has been encouraged rather than discouraged, you feel like, oh, now the government is cracking down on me for trying to get around in my car. So there yeah. is that, that's the problem of about 100 years of car culture, kind of really twisting our minds about uh, when we should be using a car, you know, what constitutes uh, proper public behavior. You know, 100 years ago, the idea of going more than 15 miles an hour in any form of conveyance was seen as a fairly antisocial act. Well, now yeah. it's just the opposite. Uh, and that's, so that's part of the problem. Obviously, the yeah. other problem is, you know, some jurisdictions in the United States do indeed balance their books on speed, you know, speeding revenue, which is, you know, that's not really fair either. I mean, people shouldn't speed, but at the same time, the um, local jurisdictions shouldn't create situations where uh, they're really trying to trap you. Now, that's not the case in New York City, because in New York City, these school zone speed cameras can only exist in school zones. So look, yeah. you shouldn't speed at all, but you definitely shouldn't speed around schools. Absolutely not. No, we, we, we actually had an article up um, a week or so ago where one of the, the main daily newspapers here, um, it, it reported on opposition to a cycle lane outside school in, in northeast England. And it spoke about some parents being concerned about how, you know, cyclists whizzing past like they were in the Tour de France would be putting the children in danger. And, you know, the incredible thing is this lane isn't open yet. And at the same time, the article was illustrated with just an absolute traffic jam of motor vehicles. Um, and it's almost like everyone's just missing the point there. They're not actually seeing the motor vehicles, which are the things that put, or the drivers are the things that put kids in danger. And it kind of wishes over people's heads sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, the problem is most people who oppose a bike lane, um, first of all, they're mostly going to be drivers. And yeah. second of all, drivers who are stuck in traffic uh, don't often think of themselves as a danger to kids, uh, obviously forgetting about the pollution and other things. Yeah. Uh, they see a moving object, in this case, a bicycle, um, as, as a greater threat, believe it or not, than a 3,000-pound motor car. And it, it's yeah. something we face here all the time. Uh you know, there was a bike lane that was supposed to go in on a block that had three, um, three schools on it. And, and the neighbors were like, well, this is, this creates a security hazard. Now I can't even imagine what they meant by security hazard, because obviously you can load a car, a car full of, full of bombs if you wanted to. So they really yeah. were talking about the, the fact that cyclists don't get stuck in traffic. They move at a consistent 15 miles an hour 
And I think A, they were either jealous or B, they were actually concerned about moving vehicles because in New York City, you know, cars don't move very fast. They're actually an exceptionally inefficient way to get around. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, generally in in New York City, um, how are things for cyclists right now? in terms of, you know, the, the infrastructure that they're developing. And I know they put in a new bike lane towards the end of last year. Is that correct? Well, there's a number of bike lanes. Look, we had a mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, the former yeah. mayor, put us on a Vision Zero stance. Now, we never got close to zero of the Vision Zero, but he did build, you know, scores of miles of protected bike lanes. Now, the current mayor who succeeded him just last year, Eric Adams, has also pledged to build scores of miles of protected bike lanes every year. Uh, And indeed, the city council passed a law a few years ago requiring, as of this year, 50 miles of protected bike lanes being built every year. Now, if if that promise is actually met, and they didn't meet it this year, but if that promise is met, in a a few years, you'll have a pretty, pretty robust, we already have a very robust protected bike lane network, but it would be, it'd be able to fill all the gaps and there'd be a lot more uh, ability to, to bike around safely, you know, sure. still 20 cyclists a year are killed in New York, about 150 pedestrians a year are killed in New York. Those numbers could go down dramatically if we could get to some sort of bike mode shift. Right yeah. now, only a tiny percentage of people bike as their primary form of transportation. Even in New York City, uh, there's still double digit percentages of people getting around by car. If we yep. could knock that down to the single digits and raise biking and walking, you know, up into the double digits, you'd see a, a profound shift, which is what cities in the United States like Jersey City and Hoboken, just across the river from New yep. York, have achieved. But by actually getting their, their fatalities down to zero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, it's similar to London, um, you know, the levels of car ownership here, particularly the closer you get towards the centre. Um, are way below the national average. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, like you say, you know, bringing car use down further. And no, no one's actually talking about banning cars outright, despite what some people would have you believe. But, you know, just getting people to rethink their journeys and if they could be made by other means um, would help improve public transport, it help improve, you know, logistics in terms of, you know, delivery vans, you know, getting around the city you know, things like that. So again, it's one of those things that's brought up as an objection, but, you know, just, it, it doesn't seem to address the problem. Right. Yeah, we, we don't have much in the way of car reduction strategies in New York City. I mean, we are going to about to have, at least by next year, congestion pricing, which I know you've had experience with. Yeah. But even currently on our major bridges into Manhattan, the most congested area of the city and the area of the city with the best transit, we don't even have HOV lanes, for example, on the bridges or in the tunnels. And that's stunning to most people in the livable streets community because, you know, you could you could easily eliminate thousands of car trips just by carpooling and, sure. and, and forcing people to carpool. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Talking about the NYPD, we did touch upon them earlier, but we, we've covered a number of cases here on RoadCC in which officers have taken a, a very heavy-handed approach towards cyclists. One of the ones that really stood out is when a cyclist has sadly been killed while riding a bike in the city. We've seen police officers go on the streets in the following days in the area where it happened and actually targeting people on bikes and pulling people over for perceived minor infractions rather than actually looking at what motorists are doing, which we know has created a lot of tension. So can I ask you, is the relationship between cyclists and, and the police any better nowadays? It's slightly better because they actually have stopped doing that. Right. Uh, they used to call it a 48-hour f- plan, I think. And for the two days after a crash, they would really aggressively ticket everybody. I mean, including drivers. But the, the it was so much easier for police officers to ticket cyclists because they move a lot slower. Um, yep. So cyclists would get really upset about that. They are doing that a little bit less, but they still set up um, ticketing stings against cyclists, you know, people who roll through a red light or, or you know bike outside of a bike lane they sting you and you know that these tickets are, are ex- very expensive they're like 190 dollars 
yeah. um, you know, for running a red, running a red light, for going through a red light. I still think they're doing that a little bit less. And they've actually stopped cracking down on our delivery cyclists. We have a massive delivery industry in New York City, uh, which is mostly done by bikes and e-bikes. They used to crack down on the e-bike delivery guys because uh, up until a couple of years ago, electric bikes were actually illegal in New York City, but they were made legalized by the state. So the NYPD has has stopped cracking down on them as well. So that's been good. I mean, and and frankly, if it's it's really a function more of design than of enforcement, because if you know, right now in New York City's protected bike lanes, there are a lot of fairly fairly rapidly moving vehicles. There are mopeds. Uh, yeah. what people sometimes call scooters, there's electric bikes. And now we don't have enough space and there's now conflict within the bike lanes, which often sends the moped riders into the regular lanes where they can get, you know, hurt by car drivers. So it's been a very, it, right now we're in a real, I would like to say we're in kind of a crossroads moment because the city is not making additionally wide bike lanes. So we're still left with the normal, you know, five or six foot wide bike lane. Yet now they're filled with these newfangled vehicles, which is creating a lot of tension and no one's figured out what to do yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we see the same over here as well, you know, in, in a lot of places. Um, you know, electric scooters, for instance, other than other than higher ones, um, which have been trialed in a number of places, it's actually illegal to to ride them on public roads, but it's not legal to sell them, so they, they get sold. People buy them, and people will will ride them. So, you know, it's the the law just isn't keeping pace with with what's actually happening out there and how people are actually using them to to get about. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same here. The police are starting to crack down on the point of sale for these illegal devices. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and and finally, um, you know, looking elsewhere in the United States, and then also further around the world, you know, where do you see that's absolutely getting it right? And, you know, is something that could be used as a model to, to improve things for cyclists in New York City? Well, two places. I mean, I was in Paris over the summer uh, for the first time in 30 years in Paris, and I was stunned by the changes, mostly to the east side of that city. There's just yeah. very, very wide bike lanes, uh, car restrictions, reduction in parking amsterdam as well has has eliminated you know hundreds of parking spaces parking really is the root of all evils now in the united states there's been a lot of effort on reducing uh, a lot of cities have mandatory parking requirements so that if a developer builds a 300 unit building he or she has to have 400 parking spaces in that building well now that does two things yeah. one is that drives up the price of housing but two is it it encourages people to buy a car like yeah. I would I one of the main reasons why a lot of New Yorkers don't buy a car is there's nowhere to park it. Well, if suddenly if you rent an apartment in a building that gives you a parking space, I mean, yes, they charge you for it, but it's you don't see that cost. You're going to probably buy a car because the few times you really do, in fact, need a car, you you'll have it right at your at your at your beck and call. So sure. reducing parking mandates is a big thing and creating real real bike lanes, real wide bike lanes and places of, of in a city where people can feel uh, safe to bike. And also by creating those kind of public spaces, you create more livability and walkability. During the pandemic, we created um, a couple of well, scores of miles of open streets, we call it, really cars that are closed to car traffic. And yeah. that created a lot of great public space that, that has been... Um, you know, widely used by members of the public. And that creates a feeling that, hey, my neighborhood is not just a place where people drive through, but a place where I can meet my neighbors, which, you know, despite the fact that New Yorkers are crammed in like sardines, we don't really know our neighbors to the extent that we used to when the car, when the streets were devoid of cars, you know, when you could just walk, yeah. stand in the middle of the road, can't yeah, get yeah. except on an open street. No, I mean... You know, you mentioned Paris, and you know, I, I've been there a couple of times over the past two, three years as well. And it's somewhere I've been going for thirty odd years. And yeah, it's a terrific example, isn't it? Because you know, the objection used to be that you know, city X Y Z is not Amsterdam, therefore we can't do cycling. But Paris has just shown exactly what you can achieve almost overnight with political will. 
Yeah, I mean, it really was political will with uh, Anne Hidalgo, the um, mayor there. Um, you know, New Yorkers always say, oh, well, New York's not Amsterdam. But, you know, parts of it are very similar to Amsterdam. You know, there's, yep. there's too many cars. If you see pictures of Amsterdam from the 1970s, it looks like New York or Rome or, you know, just cars parked everywhere on sidewalks, in public plazas, just helter skelter. Um, all they did was the first effort was to get rid of those cars, create public spaces where you can't park. And then from there, you can start real car reduction strategies like HOV lanes or car free streets or et cetera, et cetera. It's not it's not it really isn't rocket science. Don't no. encourage people to drive into the city by allowing them to park anywhere. Yeah. 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 That's definitely one intervention we can, we can make. Well, yep. thank you very much for your time, guys. It's been very interesting talking to you. And well, we'll... it's the least I could do. You know, feel yeah. free to keep fighting the fight. Yeah, likewise. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on your social media and, um, you know, future examples of you causing criminal mischief. Well, not causing it, but committing <laughs> it. Remedying it, absolutely. Okay, you take care. Keep in touch. Thanks a lot, Simon. Thanks very much. Bye. And there we have it. Episode 42 of the Road C podcast. First episode of 2023. I don't think it disappointed. Ken is such an inspirational guy. I hope that you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I did talking to him because, yeah, there's not often that you get to speak to somebody who's dedicated their life to something that's had such a profound impact on their local community and, yeah, the wider community, you know, the, the wider UK community as well. And it's just really, it's really great that he is you know, getting the recognition that he deserves you know from the powers that be on that um and then gersh as well you know some of the insights that he has around you know cycling in new york some of the issues that they're facing it was it was good to see how that kind of merges in with the stuff that we're finding over here as well so yeah gersh and ken thanks so much for for coming on uh, the first podcast of the year really appreciate it um as always if you guys want to get in touch you can send us an email to podcast at road.cc or you can find us on social media just search for road.cc so until next time cycle safe <laughs>